another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. We are in the middle of a series on the book of Ruth on the blog. Hope when you're at the end of your rope, lessons from Ruth on trust, surrender, and healing. We are going to step away from that briefly this week so that we could usher in Christmas. And I want to focus on a topic related to an aspect of the Christmas story. However, we will jump right back into Ruth after this message and we will wrap up as we are almost finished with the series. We'll go ahead and wrap up after this. So if you are following along, have been following along with that series, we will be jumping right back into that after this. However, even though we're going in a slightly different direction this week, what we're going to be talking about does tie in very much with what we were discussing, particularly in the last episode. In our last episode, we talked about trusting God when it doesn't make sense. And within that talk, I talked about the fact that God will often lead us to take steps that are very unusual that we have to take, even though we don't understand it's sort of a blind trust. We don't know exactly why he's asking us to do what he is, but that's faith is just stepping out and saying, okay, Lord, I'll do what you ask. And then after we've done that to, to rest and to know that he is going to do supernaturally what we cannot. And we often in that place of waiting, will often feel like we have to do something. There's just this urge of wanting to fix it or control the outcome because we don't know, but it's best to rest and just leave it in God's hands. And I left us with a question at the end of that episode. And I said, you know, challenged everyone listening and myself included with just a question of, is there anything that God is really nudging us to step out and do as far as an act of faith, or do we need to simply rest and let him have control? And, you know, are we trying to wrestle that control away from him, trying to really fix something, even though we haven't been given that next step and just resting until he does give that to us? So that was kind of the question I ended with. And I want to kind of take off in that, in a similar direction, as far as talking a little bit about where I left off last week is sometimes when we're in that place of maybe you are tuning in and you're in a place of, you don't really know what your next step is. And you are literally paralyzed at the moment because you are feeling the pressure to make a decision or you are in a circumstance that is bearing down on you and you really want to change, but you're, you're really not sure what the right step for you is. And it's not clear to you at the moment. And so it's in that place of, do I do anything? Do I just stay, you know, immobile here? What am I supposed to do? Or maybe you have a, a faint idea of what God would like you to do, but you just need more confirmation. You're not really sure. And you feel like you need more of clarity before you really step out Wherever you find yourself, you know, you may have a history of walking with God and know that he guides and directs, but if you've been waiting a while for an answer for him, maybe he just has been silent on the issue you've been praying about that 
we can be in a place where we wonder if he's going to show us the, the, the way to go, or if we're just going to remain in what can feel like utter darkness forever. I want to read to you from Matthew 2, 9 and 10. This is a really beautiful passage that I really love, but it is from the Christmas story. Let me just send, uh, kind of set the background for you. This is about when the wise men are following the star, they're going to find Jesus. They have seen the star and they are traveling from far away and coming to find him. They show up in Jerusalem in Matthew 2. They ask about this king that has been prophesied. King Herod, who is king of the time, is very disturbed by them showing up and calls together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. And he wants to know about this king that has been prophesied because he feels very threatened by the idea of another king being born. And so he, by calling together the people's chief priests, he discovers the king has prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod calls back the wise men. He talks to them. He sends them to Bethlehem and tells them to come back to him when they find this king and report to him so that he too can worship the king. That's what he tells them. Well, he's not really interested in worshiping the king. He's interested in knowing where the king is so that he can kill that king so that he can make sure to retain his power on the throne. He's extremely paranoid about someone else usurping his authority. So the wise men go and as they go, the star they have been following rises up ahead of them. It apparently disappeared, um, briefly when they, when they, um, arrived in Jerusalem and and they seek out, okay, where is this king? Cause they don't know. And then once they learn some information about he's in Bethlehem, then they go and then the star, they see it once again. And then it, it shows up for them and, and then leads them right to Jesus, who is, who is probably one or two at the time, um, no longer in a stable, but is just in a living in a home with Mary and Joseph and living there in Bethlehem. So I want to read to you the passage after they had heard the King, they went on their way. So that's the wise men. After the wise men had heard the king, they went on their way. So after they had met with Herod and the star they had seen when it rose ahead, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And that's Matthew 2, 9 through 10. So basically, again, it's just saying that they saw the star once more. They went to follow it and arrived and actually did see Jesus. So there's a few observations from this particular passage that I want to just draw out for us about this idea of our next step of knowing what God wants us to do next that we can learn from the wise men here because they are following this star that God has placed for them to be able to find Jesus. And similarly, we're going to see how God also shows us and and leads us in the way that we should go. So the first idea I want to bring is number one, is God speaks our language. Commentator Matthew Henry, this is what he says about this passage. He says, God spoke to the wise men in a language they could understand. And I love what he points out. In fact, I love his commentary on this passage. And if you're a Bible nerd like me, you like to read different commentators or study, you can look up his commentary on a bunch of different sites. It's free, but Bible Gateway is one You can just click on study this next to the passage. You just 
go look for Matthew 2, 9 and 10 and then click study this next to it. And it, it shows some different free commentary Terry's there. And Matthew Henry is one of them. But one of the things he points out is just this idea that God spoke to these wise men and these wise men, it's not really clear who exactly they were. They might've been priests. They might've been exiled Jews, but they were not living in Jerusalem. They were from a faraway place and they may have even been sorcerers or astrologers, whatever the case, they were well-versed in studying the heavens and reading signs and they saw the star and followed him. And God led them to his son by announcing his birth with a star and revealed himself to them in a way that they could understand. And similarly, God does that with us too. He promises to be found by those who seek him and he speaks our language. He knows what exact questions and doubts that we have, gifts, struggles, and conflicts. He fashioned our brains. He knows what will draw us to him. And I love this. My pastor once a pastor I once had just gave this example. He, in a sermon, and he just said that he loves to play hide and seek with his kids. Well, he had four small kids. And even though he could easily have hid in really difficult places where they would not be able to find him, he would hide in places that were not too hard so that they could find him so that they wouldn't give up too easily. And similarly, God is, is not, going to hide from those who are seeking him. He wants to be found by us and he's going to reveal himself and he doesn't remain hidden if we look for him. So for instance, you know, we might be a person who is really an outdoors person. And so maybe some, the best way we connect with God is running out in nature or being outside and God's going to speak to us differently and connect with us maybe differently at times than maybe somebody who is more of a person who stays inside and reads books all the time. I know for me personally that there are many different ways that God has spoken to me, but a lot of times it's just through words, words in a book, words from a pastor's sermon. And a lot of times it's words in a song. Recently I gave this story If you checked out, uh, I did a two-part series on depression over Thanksgiving around that time. And one of the stories I told in in an episode, I just shared about a moment when I was discouraged. I went into a church service and our worship team, I've never heard them do this song before. If they've done it before, then I didn't notice. But they did a song that is called There is a Fountain. It's a hymn. And it was written in the 1700s by an English, an English poet and hymn writer. But this particular song, there was one line that really stood out to me. And the first few words of the song, there is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins and sinners purged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. And one of the reasons I was so discouraged going into the service was that I was discouraged because I felt my failures were great. And there were some ways that I felt like I hadn't been able to meet the standard. I've, I've always feel like I know a lot of times 
how I want to live and what I should do. And I'm not always able to do exactly what I would like to do. And there were just some nudges I'd felt from God. And I had felt like I'd botched the assignments and I felt like that I hadn't fully completed them. I had stepped out, but then I just felt like I hadn't done what I should have in those circumstances. And I felt just a sense of overwhelming guilt. And during that service, I felt those lines of that song just really stood out to me. And it was just a a beautiful thing that God did for me in the service of just minister to me. And I could just accept his forgiveness that I had already told him I was sorry, but I felt like just still the condemnation of that. It wasn't from God. He was, he forgave me, but it was just my own guilt. And that song, it was just really ministered to me. And then I went out and looked up later that week. I actually just by chance, which really wasn't by chance on my Facebook, there was, um, a link to an article on the hymn writer, William Cooper, which I have, I'd never heard of him before. And John Piper and desiringgod.org. I follow his website and there was an article on him and I learned all of these things about him, how he struggled with depression and how he had had several suicide attempts and how he wrote that hymn because he was struggling with feeling the weight of just feeling like he wasn't really saved and having these nightmares about being ending up in hell, even though he was saved. And then he heard this sermon about Jesus's atoning blood, the work, his work on the cross. And he was so relieved and felt so much better. And the burden was just lifted. He raced home and he wrote the hymn according to um, the article I read Now, John Piper wrote, did a slightly different angle after reading his. I then went on and read that somewhere else. But it was just this amazing uh, moment where God just lifted up my spirits. And there's been other times that he's done that as well. But he speaks to us in ways that we can understand. Number two, he chooses unlikely candidates. The second thing I want to point out about this passage is God chooses people that you and I probably would not choose or would not even think that he would use the wise men. We don't know exactly were they priests, were they exiled Jews, were they astrologers? We don't really know, but most likely they were astrologers. And in, if they were, this seems very unusual that he would use them to come and worship Jesus. There were several more, we could say pious men closer to the birthplace of Jesus. And Even when the wise men came and they consulted with Herod and Herod called on some people who knew about the prophecies of Jesus, the wise men went alone to see Jesus. These people didn't even go with them, even though they knew the prophecies that the wise men were searching. And the embarrassing reality is that the Jews weren't even looking And they knew all the prophecies and predictions. And yet it was these magi, these sorcerers that God used to follow his star to his son. And what we can see there is God chooses not just the people that we would think, but the gospel is really for everyone. It's not just for people who look the part. It's for common 
common everyday people, for shepherds, for sorcerers, for old people, for young people. So Christ is exclusive in the sense that he offers a narrow path of salvation himself. Their only way to be saved is through accepting Jesus as our savior, but he extends his offer to all. So everyone is welcome to accept Jesus's invitation. So we see in this verse that the placing of the star for the wise men to find is behind that is a creator who greatly loves his creation. And not only does he let us find him when we're looking, but he initiates the search by coming to pursue us. And many of you listening most likely have stories of maybe drifting far away from God, having been saved at a younger age and then drifting from him and having God really run after us. Or maybe we just are, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we were an unbeliever and God initiated through a conversation someone had with us or a song we heard or some other means that he, we became aware of who he was and that he was, he was pursuing us. The third point I want to bring from this Matthew verse is that the star isn't just for the Christmas story. If you're anything like me, I grew up in the church. I grew up listening to the Christmas story every Christmas, hearing it in Christmas songs. And so it just became sort of a I guess you could say a tradition or a routine that sometimes when you hear something over and over that you don't really think about carefully the, the reality of what it's of, of the story or pay attention to some of the details. And so I never really thought about the fact that the star in the story, it didn't just guide the wise men on their journey and then, then go away. But that same star even though we don't see a huge old star in the sky, one of the things that I'm borrowing from Matthew Henry, again, in his commentary, he says this, but, and he's borrowing it from scripture, is that the day star arises in the hearts of all who seek him. So the star isn't just for the wise men. The star is for all of us that when we seek him like the wise men did, all of a sudden we begin to get a sense of where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do. Because God, all of a sudden, we just begin to get these little nudges and he gives us these little crumbs and it's like a star for us to follow and shows us where to go. There are times, if you're anything like me, there are times that I worry that I will miss God's will for me. But the truth is that if I'm abiding in him and walking with him, I will know the way to go. So just like the star guided the wise men to Jesus' home by making Jesus at home in our hearts and seeking out his guidance on a daily basis, he illuminates the way for us. He shows us the path that we should take by surrounding us with resources that answer our questions, by speaking directly to us during our quiet time through scripture, by speaking through pastors and other mature Christian friends through sermons and conversations, by filling our minds with dreams that warn us of future events. This, these are all the ways God leads us. And there are other ways as well that I didn't even mention. Isaiah 30, 21 says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. So without fail, when we spend time with him, our, he's going to fill us with, with wisdom 
of what to do. And it doesn't mean that we don't ever make our own decisions or that every second of our day we're, you know, unable to even make a decision about when, what to eat or where to go for dinner or anything. I mean, he's given us a mind, but it's just this idea of when we're depending on him that he's really going to show us the way to go. Years ago, I had this, when I was teaching, I had this opportunity to take a master's degree and some other teachers had talked, had been talking to me and asked me if I wanted to do a program with them. And I jumped right in and I thought, oh, that'd be so great to have a master's degree and a master's degree in, in teaching writing. Writing was like my thing. You know, some people were more into maybe British literature and that was kind of their thing or they were grammar people in the English department, but teaching writing was my favorite thing to do. I mean, I had all these activities for the kids where I would, you know, have them break down certain types of writing and how to write intro paragraphs. I mean, we did all kinds of things and I just loved teaching writing. So I thought this is going to be the most awesome thing. And so I took the entrance exam needed, did applied to the school, got accepted, did everything, but I just had an uneasy feeling. I didn't feel good about it and I couldn't really explain it. So I began to pray and I had done all of this work without really consulting God. And I just said I had to make a decision because I had to apply, um, literally, you know, pay the money and, uh, basically go online and sign up for my classes. And I just didn't have a good feeling about it. So I prayed And I said, Lord, if you don't want me to do this master's program, please tell me. And the very next day I went to church and we went to a church of a few thousand people. The pastor was on the stage and I don't remember what his sermon was about, but he paused for a minute in the sermon and I was sitting up in this balcony. We had two levels to the sanctuary and I was sitting up in the balcony and he even, even paused and he, he didn't look straight at me, but he, it was almost like he just paused and kind of turned his body towards the direction where I was sitting. And he said something to the effect of education is really good, but sometimes it's not what God asks of us to go and do the higher education. And it was odd that he said that. And it was odd. It was something to that effect. And it was just when he said that I knew, and I just said, Oh my goodness, that's God's answer to me. Because this particular pastor had a PhD and I can't remember at the time if he had gotten his PhD or he was just working towards it, but education was highly valued in the church. And he just turned and said that and then kept right on going. And I don't even think it fit in with what he was talking about in his sermon. And he's a very polished speaker. So it really stood out because I'm like, why did he even say that? And I knew, and I just stepped away and it turned out that after that particular year, shortly after I stepped away from that, I got pregnant, ended up having my first child, and it would have been too much for me to teach, have my first child, and do all the responsibilities. And then it turned out, shortly after that, not too long after that, that God had me step away from teaching. And I had no idea. And I would have been strapped with tons of of student loans And yeah, it would be, it would have been great to have the master's degree, but it again, wasn't something that I needed 
particularly because I wasn't going to be teaching any longer. And so maybe at some point I will go back and, and do some more schooling. But for that particular time, God knew what was ahead. The other story I was kind of thinking about when I was putting this together was when we moved to where we are now, we've lived here for four years and I was feeling very nervous about moving. I did not want to move to where we were going. I wanted the new adventure. I I was kind of excited about moving to a new house, but I did not like the area really that we're moving it. It was a little bit out of, in the middle of nowhere, I thought. I wasn't very familiar with it and it just made me very nervous. And it's like, God just reassured me. We pulled up into this housing development, which we now live in. Did not know we were going to buy a house here, but we saw this beautiful rainbow in the sky. And we, we saw rainbows on our way back too when we were driving back. And there was um, the Christian radio station playing and on the radio was um, the... It was, um, it, I can't remember exactly, but every just song and everything that they were talking about that night was just a reassurance and that we were on the right track. And I kept on seeing every time we would come out to this County that that we now live in, I kept on seeing rainbows. I see rainbows here all the time. And I, I don't remember seeing rainbows that much at the place we used to live in. It's just bizarre. We see rainbows but it was just that particular night. It was like God was just reaffirming to me, this is the place I want you to go. And I did not take it literally. I, I did not say, okay, since we saw a rainbow there, we have to move in that neighborhood. We were actually looking at another neighborhood, but it just turned out that it didn't really work out. And it ended up that the house that worked out for us was in this neighborhood. And it was like, God gave us a sign in advance And so every time I see a rainbow now in this County, I'm, it's like, I always think about God gave me that he knew and he led us to the right place. And we just really didn't know, but he, he helped us to know. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So if you've tuned in because you were wondering What's the next step for me, God? I don't know what to do next. I have a decision. I'm not sure what step to take. I don't know what direction to go. You may be just worried, maybe frantic. He is going to guide you in the way to go. If you are a believer, if you are seeking him about your situation, even if he has been silent or you're not getting answer right away, he is going to guide you in the right way. And you can trust and rest in the fact that just as God led his wise men directly to Jesus. They had to stop in Jerusalem. They had to ask, they had to do some work on their own. They had to travel all that way. And then they had to kind of, the star went away for a little while. So they had to ask some people, but then God, once they did that piece of the journey and did what they could do, then God did what he could do. And the star reappeared for them and they found where they were supposed to go. So similarly, He is going to do that for us. James 1 5 says, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you. And I believe that's, that's the message. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you guide us and you, and you don't leave us alone. That when we seek you, we will find you and we will be guided in the way that we should go. That that is your promise for us in scripture 
that you don't leave us alone, that it's not just a promise for the wise men or not just a promise for people back in Bible times, but it's a promise for us now that if we seek you with all of our hearts, we're going to find you. You're going to show us the way to go. We don't have to worry. If we don't know what to do, we can just rest. We don't have to try to figure it out. We don't have to try to strive in some way to fix everything. We can simply do nothing and keep seeking you until you show us exactly where to go. Thank you so much, Lord, that you guide us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, you don't leave us alone, that you're always with us walking each step of the way. In Jesus' name.